Hi, welcome to episode 27 of Global Exchanges, a podcast about foreign exchange markets and related issues. I'm Greg Anderson. In this week's episode, my co-host Stephen Gao and I will be talking about the recent sharp moves in Eurodollar, Dollar-Yen, and a few other exchange rates. The title for this episode is Omicron and Currency Market Cross-Currents. Hi, I'm Stephen Gallo, a London-based FX strategist. Welcome to Global Exchanges, presented by BMO Capital Markets. Hi, I'm Greg Anderson, a New York-based FX strategist. I'm Stephen's co-host. In each weekly podcast like today's, we discuss our perspectives on the global economy and the foreign exchange market. We also bring in guests from the FX industry and from related financial markets like commodities. We strive to make this show as interactive as possible, so don't hesitate to reach out by going to bmocm.com slash global exchanges. Thanks for joining us. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates or subsidiaries. Okay, it's November 30th, 2021. Thank you for joining the podcast. Uh, And following on from your introduction, Greg, the issue I'd like to point out first or go to first is uh, how choppy and volatile both the FX markets and the rates markets have become particularly over the last week. I have a volume-weighted three-month implied volatility index, which I track covering all G10 currencies and a large chunk of EM currencies. And it recorded a new high for the year on Friday. It's basically sitting at that high today. Now, in numerical terms, we can call it a high of eight vols uh, for the index. That is not massive in the grand scheme of things. It's important to point that out. But it is a sizable increase on average implied volatility from Q3, Greg. So, Stephen, with that noteworthy spike in your FX implied vol index, Are there any specific currency pairs that really stand out? Or is this more of a generalized jump in implied volatility of of everything? Greg, there are 21 currencies in the index in total. And on a week-over-week basis, which is how I'm calculating these changes, the top three increases in three-month implied volatility were in order, Noki, Mex, and Yen. Now, I'll let you jump here in here in a second, Greg. But the first thing that stands out, in my opinion, is that mostly the pickup in volatility was in G10, with one exception in this case being MEX. But other than that, I think these vol pickups can be explained by one of three factors, liquidity, positioning, and commodity prices, particularly oil, which has experienced notable volatility over the past week. I noticed your list of noteworthy volatility upticks didn't include Eurodollar, although it has been quite whippy over the past few days. And it also didn't include Dollar Canada or Dollar China. What has happened to implied vol in these currency pairs? In this case, Greg, let me cover the last one first, dollar China. There's been very little change at all in three-month implied volatility. And if anything, actually a slight decrease in vol uh, on a week-over-week basis. I don't think that's much of a surprise. We've seen very little movement in dollar RMB all year long. Price action in euro dollar has certainly been whippy. That's Eurodollar spot. Um, And swap rate differentials have played a role 
in driving that currency pair. But in both euro dollar and dollar Canada, there's been a, only a modest increase in three month volatility, three month implied volatility, Greg. Nothing noteworthy compared with the other currencies I mentioned. That being said, I don't want the numbers related to the three month part of the curve to detract from the main message, which is that we are seeing a noteworthy increase in implied volatility for reasons that we're going to get into. I'm really glad that the index you're using is three-month fall and not one-month fall. I will point out that in most pairs, the rise in one-month implied fall over the past few days has been uh, substantially bigger than the rise in three-month falls. I would attribute that to the fact that the one-month contracts had a date premium built in due to calendar year-end. That calendar year-end markup should get priced back out of one-month fall over the next couple of days because now we're pricing past the turn. But at any rate, I think we can safely say that the pickup in implied vol, this is not a calendar quirk. This is a, a true increase in uncertainty about the future path of these exchange rates. All right, Greg. So let me ask you about implied volatility and the move in dollar yen. Spot has basically gone from, uh, call it 115 and a half to 113 in change now uh, after touching a low for this adjustment of 112.53 earlier today. Do you think positioning has been largely responsible for the scale of the rally in the yen, as well as the spike in implied vol, or do we need to look at other drivers here, Greg? As you mentioned, the market came into what I'm going to call the Omicron episode, quite long of dollar yen. So I'm sure that positioning was one of the factors that contributed to dollar yen dumping basically two big figures, say from the low 115s to the low 113s on Friday. But it's not just that. The two most critical drivers for dollar yen tend to be interest rate differentials and the price of oil. Where Japan is so heavily reliant on foreign oil, the sharp move lower in oil prices benefits Japan. And that undoubtedly exerted a downward pull on dollar yen. And with regards to uh, interest rate differentials, uh, where Japan's rates are basically anchored at zero across the curve, the move lower in U.S. rates caused by the Omicron scare has narrowed the interest rate differential, which also pulls down on dollar yen. Or at least it did until Powell spoke a few minutes ago. What Powell said in some comments before the Senate Banking Committee was that the FOMC will evaluate at its December meeting whether it is appropriate to speed up its taper process by a few months. That comment chased dollar-yen from, I'll call it 112.60 to 113.60 in a span of less than a half hour, where Powell was actually pretty non-committal about whether that taper might get sped up. And he mentioned Omicron as a risk factor that might cause him to conclude that they have the right taper speed for now. I'm surprised that Dorian moved a whole big figure on that. But I guess it goes to show how uncertain things have uh, become regarding the monetary policy outlook. So maybe the vol market is right to assume that this type of whippiness is going to persist for a few months. Hey, Stephen, while we're on the topic of potentially changing paces of bond purchases, what's the latest on the ECB? And how might that influence Eurodollar? Right, Greg. So just to bring it back to the topic of the podcast, cross-currents, it seems to me that the duality of a possible slower recovery from Omicron, 
along with the hit to the oil price and central banks simultaneously in a more hawkish posture, particularly the Fed, is how I would describe the fundamental picture behind the backup in implied volatility or these cross currents. Uh, You asked about the ECB. The ECB has been on an entirely different, more dovish plane altogether. And you'll recall, Greg, from client conversations that we've uh, been involved with together, I've been mapping out two plausible scenarios for the euro stemming from the ECB's policy stance over the next one to three months or so. The first is a continuation of dovishness while other central banks uh, tilt more hawkish, resulting in general downward pressure on the euro. The second scenario, which I've been characterizing as more of an outlier, is one in which the ECB is forced by the inflation backdrop into, I guess, call it an abrupt hawkish U-turn on policy, perhaps involving an earlier end to its bond purchase program than it's currently flagging. Now, I've been describing that second scenario as an outlier, which I just indicated, but with inflation in Germany running at a 6% annual pace and the SPD candidate for the chancellery, uh, Olaf Schultz, supporting action from the ECB if inflation does not moderate, the outlier scenario is one I think we should at least be discussing. Stephen, as I understand it, the official communication regarding the ECB's bond purchase program states that the emergency program will end in March which would result in a sort of a cliff edge where QE drops off dramatically and and the ECB's QE could end up being less than the Fed's QE at that point. But is that what is priced into Eurodollar? Or is there a market assumption that is different from that? Greg, that's a really insightful question because the ECB plays such a vital role in soaking up issuance in the Euro area. Look, my best judgment is that the FX and rates markets are assuming that the ECB will continue with outright purchases and reinvestments in some form throughout next year. The only unanswered bit, or I guess you might say the big question, is what modality those purchases will exist in. Will the ECB taper the emergency program into March and scale up the flexibility of the standard asset purchase program from March? Uh, Or will it essentially rename the pandemic emergency purchase program and let it operate in a reduced form from March? And if so, how much will it reduce net asset purchases by? Um, These are big questions, but my best judgment is that the financial markets assume the ECB crutch will be there in some form all of next year. And personally, I I think that's the right assumption. So let me paint three relative monetary policy scenarios for you. And you give me the euro dollar exchange rate uh, to to the nearest big figure, say, that would result. And and of course, we're leaving aside all of the uncertainty related to the European oil crisis, Ukraine-Russia situation, uh, etc. So scenario one, the Fed keeps its taper program as previously communicated uh, in the last meeting and finishes QE in June while the ECB modestly scales back its bond purchases, as you described. Scenario two, the Fed accelerates its taper timetable and finishes in March, while the ECB, um, no, no change, basically. They keep on QEing at the modestly scaled back pace you described. Scenario three, the Fed, the Fed accelerates its taper timetable and ends bond purchases in March, 
while the ECB lets its cliff edge taper happen. For each scenario, give me where you think euro dollar would be and say uh, three months from now and the probability that you'd attach to the scenario. Well, Greg, for the first scenario, I would give you a level of euro dollar of 112 and I'd assign that a 60% probability. For the second scenario, which was you had the Fed accelerating, finishing in March, and the ECB modestly scaling back QE, I'd give you 110 in euro dollar and a probability of 30%. The third scenario, I think, is the most complex. Talk about cross currents. Because on the one hand, you have the ECB ending the vast majority of QE pretty abruptly uh, and euro shorts being forced to cover. But on the other hand, you have the potential for what I can only foresee as a sharp repricing of peripheral credit markets to an environment of less ECB support and higher sustained inflation. That's why I'm not going to go above 115 with my expected level for euro dollar in the third scenario. Uh, and I'm only going to give it a 10% probability for now. That being said, Greg, peripheral credit in the euro area has recently been underperforming. So it's possible that wider spreads will start to impede euro appreciation earlier than the first half of next year. It's just something worth watching, Greg. So it sounds like basically you you think euro dollar is a sell up here on a 113 handle. Taking all factors into consideration, Greg, uh, including the ECB politics and issues related energy, yes, I think levels above 113 in euro dollar are decent entry points to sell euros on a horizon of one to three months. Shorter term, one to two weeks, you know, given the uptick in volatility we've, we spoke about earlier, it, it's, it's much more of a difficult trade, I think, Greg. I'm going to toss it back to you uh, now, Greg, on dollar-yen. And the irony here is incredible. It's currently trading 113.20, uh, which is almost precisely where Eurodollar is trading. Is it a buy here at 113.20, Greg, a sell here? Or maybe I should ask you also, do you foresee any wild gyrations in dollar-yen coming? Darn. I thought it had successfully escaped without making a call on dollar-yen. I'll just say Dalian is an exceptionally hard call to make right now. But gun to my head, I would say that it might be both a buy and a sell at 113 today. Let me go back to uh, scenarios for a bit. Let's suppose our first scenario is the one where the Fed does not accelerate its taper pace at the December meeting. And let's assume further that oil parks itself for the month of December where it is now in the mid-60s. In that case, with position reduction, U.S. two-year yield lower, et cetera, I think we'd be looking at dollar-yen testing 110 by December 31st. So on a one-month horizon, I think dollar-yen is a sell. But okay, now let me paint another uh, reasonably plausible scenario. In this scenario, the Fed does accelerate taper at its December meeting, And then it goes ahead and it finishes the QE program in March uh, and then implements its first rate hike in June. Meanwhile, OPEC Plus regain control of the price of oil and finish what I think was their uh, intended program of pushing it to $100 a barrel next summer. So in that scenario, Fed hikes in June, $100 oil, I think we'd be looking at dollar-yen at 
120 plus on a six month horizon. So with a six month horizon, I guess I think dollar yen is a buy here at 113. So to summarize, where euro dollar and dollar yen are both at 113, uh, ignoring the decimal point, I have some pretty plausible scenarios that I can lay out where dollar yen breaks out of the one teens and moves uh, either below 110 or above 120. I didn't hear you say anything about a move uh, above 115 in euro dollar, let alone 20. So yeah, I think dollar yen has got a lot more potent upside potential um, and at least equivalent downside potential. You know what, Greg, it sounds like the options market might have it right based on what you're saying in the sense that it has been chasing up dollar yen vols by more than it's been chasing up euro dollar vols. I think we've done enough for one day, Greg. Let's wrap up episode 27 here. Uh, Thanks for listening. Until next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Global Exchanges. Listen to past episodes and find transcripts at bmocm.com slash global exchanges. We'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. You can send us an email or reach out to us on Bloomberg. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show is produced and edited by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.